This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This is Jeremy Casella. Well, I didn't want to lay it down But I knew I had to give it up I was fooling myself for far too long When I finally found I had none Then I got broken down as I could be It took a while, but I busted free Through the rattle and shine and rhythm and rhyme And the rustle of the falling leaves Praying with the poor Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on When did you start playing music? Fifth grade. Okay. Yeah, acoustic guitar. I wanted to learn how to play. I went to a Catholic school, and there was a brochure that came home one day in our school papers, and you could take classes, you know, um, or guitar lessons and music lessons at school if you wanted to. And I told my mom that I wanted to play the guitar. And um, I'd always loved music, but guitar just kind of came naturally. And I started taking lessons when I was in fifth grade. So Okay. And it was this little Yamaha acoustic guitar. I still have it. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had my old guitars. Isn't that funny how that is? Yeah. Right. I, I think back on, like, my the first one I ever bought was, like, a real nice... I worked all summer and bought a um, this pretty nice Japanese uh, Epiphone Riviera. Oh yeah, which now those things go for like it was like five hundred bucks at the time, which was a fortune for me. Sure, but now they're like worth worth a couple grand and yeah. hard to track down. I and know. Yeah, I still have that guitar. I don't use it as much, but I still have it, and it's a uh, it's a good. It's been with me for a while. Yeah, you know. Were you always wanting to do the singer songwriter thing, or? Yes. Yeah. Um, I did. Yeah. Um, I, when I was a kid, I, of course, I loved music playing guitar. My dad um, bought me a stereo system. Remember back in the day, you would buy a stereo and it was oh, like yeah. on your shelf and, you know, would come with speakers and everything. You'd get it from like Walmart or something. Right. right. I think that's where they got it. And my dad bought me, it had a five disc changer CDs. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. And it was back then. Sure. But he bought me, um, a bunch of CDs that he thought were cool. And one of them was Sgt. Pepper. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard it before. Mm. And I was, I mean, I'd heard like some songs of it, but I'd never, it blew my mind. Yeah. And that was right around the time I was getting into like, you know, Bob Dylan and Neil Young. And because um, my friends were into those guys, because they're, bro- they're older brothers who were way cooler than us. <laughs> right. They had all those records. <laughs> right. And we would listen to them and Crosby, Stills, and Nash and all those, all those records. I just be, remember being enamored by by that stuff. And then specifically in the Christian realm of things, Christian music was kind of in and around our family hmm. in the 80s. And my dad had a, like a Randy Stonehill cassette tape. Hmm. And he bought Rich Mullins' uh, Winds of Heaven, Stuff of Earth on cassette tape because he liked that song, Awesome God. Mm-hmm. And um, he would play it in the car 
and it just blew my mind. And I, I was obsessed with Rich Mullins' music, yeah. uh, his lyrics and all that mostly. And I just always gravitated towards that. That's always been my, I think, home base. Um, not always very clear, often confusing, but definitely home base. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. When did you start playing shows and... And college, college, high school, and college, high and I, college. I wouldn't have called them shows, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of covers and uh, feeling my way forward. Yeah, um, just cutting my teeth on trying to interact with an audience and learn my way around the instrument and singing and all that stuff. It's a that's a process too. Yeah. So, but it's all. I was playing Eric Clapton songs, and remember the Unplugged record? Eric oh Clapton? yeah. I mean that record was. I just listened to that the other day. That's a great record. It's so good. There's a version of it on Spotify with all these unreleased outtakes because oh, no that was a live recording. Right. So good. Yeah. I mean, you know, back in the day, like when we were kids, or you know, there was so much good music being made. Mm -hmm. and not that it, there isn't right now, but I just think about the time I could have grown up in. Mm -hmm. Like I was really fortunate, you know. That's a yeah. so I would try to cover Eric Clapton. <laughs> yeah, you know. Those, I mean, all of those unplugged records that came out uh, in the '90s, they were so good. There were so many good ones. Yeah, Paul McCartney's. Paul McCartney's. So Nirvana's is obviously great. Lauren Hill did that yeah. unplugged thing. Oh, it was totally spectacular. Arrested Development did one. Did they really? Do you remember that? No, I don't yes. remember that one. Yeah. There's a pine wobbler sitting on a hollow limb. He seems to have the whole morning out right in front of him. And everything he sings from the branch that he's sitting on, it seems to hush the leaves and the colors all around. Now first he sings and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. From Harbor Media, you're listening to Cultivated, conversations about faith and work. I'm Mike Cosper, and on today's episode, I'm sitting down with my friend, Jeremy Casella. We talk about his musical career, how faith is woven into his work, and how suffering, disappointment, and redemption have truly transformed him. It's a remarkable story, so stay with us. Jeremy grew up mostly in Pennsylvania. Coming out of high school, he thought he'd be a doctor, not a singer-songwriter. So he went to Purdue University. But quickly, his plans changed. It's funny. The first week of school, I knew I didn't want to stay. Hmm. Although I did stay because I had thought, and this is funny because I've talked to my dad about this since then, I thought that when you paid for college, you just paid for the whole year. Oh, funny. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I'm here for the year. Yeah. But... About three or three weeks into my first semester at Purdue, I I went I I hitched a ride with some friends who were going to Nashville to see some friends at Vanderbilt mm -hmm. from Purdue, and I auditioned at Belmont hmm. while they were there. So I just rode with them and stayed at their house and stuff, which was right right near Belmont actually, right off of Hillsboro. And I got in. And but I waited to transfer until the following fall. Um, I went to Purdue to, to because I didn't really know where to go. Hmm. I had some friends that had gone there, 
and I, I really liked them, and they yeah. turned out okay, so I thought, well, why not? Right. Um, and, but it wasn't very long at all before I realized I really need to be in Nashville. I wanted to go to Nashville from the get-go. I had applied to Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't get in, mm. and um, which is a very, that was a grace of God, I think. You mm. know, I, Vanderbilt would have been too much for me, but uh, Belmont was great, and I ended up there, finished college there. And it's definitely, Nashville's always felt like home in that way. Um, you know, not always clear and not always without bumps, but definitely yeah. a warm place to be. At Belmont, Jeremy got connected with Reformed University Fellowship, which was led by Kevin Twitt. There, Kevin was starting Indelible Grace Music, taking old hymns and setting them to new tunes. People like Matthew Smith, Sandra McCracken, and Jeremy were all contributors and singers for those records. It was also there that Jeremy had a sense of awakening to the gospel. Kevin had just started RUF at Belmont okay. around the time I got there. Um, that would have been 97? I got there in 96, so I think, yeah, yeah he had just started. And it was Christ Community's you know, college Bible study and that he hmm. was sort of tied in with as well on Sundays. And I was going to an Anglican church called um, St. B's, mm-hmm. St. Bartholomew's. I wasn't in the PCA at all. I didn't know anything about it. Um, but I had a lot of friends that went to the Tuesday night meeting and I, the RUF meeting at Belmont, and I was really invited several times. And I went, um, and this was towards the end of college, you know, uh, I went and was just so moved by the songs. Mm. They'd already recorded, I think the first record. Okay. So that was all happening. Mm-hmm. And that's where I met Sandra and Matthew Smith and Andrew Singa and Matthew Perriman Jones mm-hmm. and, um, of course, I was in the same class as um, Joe Phillips and Andy Gullahorn. We were all oh, wow. on the same campus together. Jenny Owens, yeah, it's a lot amazing. of a lot of cool folks, and yeah. I was I was enamored by all their talent and all of all. I mean, those guys have always been good. Particularly Andy Gullahorn, he's always been good. Hmm. I remember being in college, and be like, it's just unfair. This guy's so good. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, and so that's how I got involved with RUF and started going, and I loved the music, and I loved the messages. The sermons were so powerful, and they still are. I still listen to Kevin's messages. Hmm. But it was really just singing those songs that kept me wanting to come back every week. And Hmm. then after a short period of time, I realized these songs are changing me. Hmm. I'm changing, and I was. Hmm. Um, And I love that, that piece of it. You know, I think that's a huge, huge piece of Kevin's ministry at Belmont, obviously, is Indelible Grace. And uh, I was got roped into uh, being part of that, which was wonderful, um, just to help record some of those future projects and sing on some stuff. And then they brought me in to play electric guitar, which is hilarious because I'm not a very good. They just spent, they're desperate. They needed an electric <laughs> guitar player, and so that's that's how I started traveling with those guys too. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I wonder. Um, did you ever play Louisville with with Matthew Smith and those guys? Yeah, we played once at um over at Clifton. No, no, I'm sorry, uh, at Southern Seminary. Okay, Chip Stam was there. Yeah, Kevin Twitt. I was probably was at there. that. I probably was at that show. Wow, so amazing. Uh, small world. It is. What was your What was your first song? What was your first hymn you you retuned? Um, very first one was "God Me O Thou Great Jehovah," which is the probably my one of still one of my most popular songs. Mm. Um, and Kevin had given us the Charles Spurgeon RUF hymn book, or not the RUF hymn book, the Our Own hymn book, yeah. which is just words. There's no 
Right. No music in there. And um, he said, you know, why don't you pick a few of these and set them to new music and see what happens. And that was the first one I did. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, feed me I knew the tune, the original tune, hmm. but um, hadn't sung it forever, which is in a major key. Mm -hmm. And my version's in the minor key, which I think really works with the lyric a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And that was it. I was hooked from that point, hmm. you know? I mean, once you catch a vision of something like that, it's just so beautiful. You, it's easy to keep coming back, mm -hmm. um, at least for me. I just, I feel real. It's I'm 43 now, and I've been part of that for quite a while, and it's just... It's shaped and for me in huge ways. Yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of hard to even measure how much yeah. goodness has come out of that. Well, I think you know Kevin's got such a clear vision for worship as spiritual formation, totally. and I think like the way I always have contrasted it with worship leaders that I've worked with and and done stuff with at the church over the years is there's this there's a school of thought that looks at worship as you know sort of expressionism and then there's a school of thought that looks at it as as formative you know and as you as you sing those songs i mean the way you describe it it's such a formative thing you sing those songs yeah. and they they work their way into your heart they work your way into your language the way you right. think about your faith the way you pray right i think hymns and psalms in particular they give us the language for faith that we wouldn't have otherwise to understand what's going on inside of our heads. Right. And I'd say along those lines of length, the language of faith is, is for me, what was so powerful is the lyrical images mm -hmm. that would allow, I would kind of meditate on those images mm -hmm. um, while we were singing the song. Mm. And it kind of forces you to slow down. And um, any of those really good hymns, and there's some bad hymns. I was sure. going to say that, you know, they're not all amazing, sure. but, the, but many of them are so powerful and the ones that, that are so powerful or rich because they're, you know, he calls them theology on fire, which I, I love that phrase. Hmm. Um, but it's the imagery that you can really just park your mind and, and, and spirit on and let them, let them just kind of chew on it and ruminate on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's formative. It shapes you. I yeah. mean, whatever you direct your thoughts to, whatever you're beholding in front of you, it's forming and shaping you. Yeah. So what are you looking at? Right. What, are you, what are you saying? Right. Do you hear what you're saying? You know what? <laughs> what are we singing? Um, those are those are huge, huge things that are so easy to overlook. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really, I mean, so impacted by, by Kevin and RUF. Yeah. Yeah. So what what happened after after you graduated? Yeah, I went on the road. Um, I made an independent record, um, and just dove into the singer songwriter thing, and um, have been in various forms and shapes of uh, of ways of doing that ever since, really. Mm -hmm. Growing into that ever since. And 
yeah, I made I made a, an independent record and went and toured it. I opened for Phil Keggy for a while and hmm. got out on the road with the Normals, Andrew Singa's old band, mm-hmm. which was great. And uh, how'd you meet Phil? Well, I met Phil through a friend of ours, uh, Bernie Sheehan, who okay. she knew I was a huge fan, and okay. um, we became we became good buddies. He's just the sweetest guy in the world, yeah, and he's so kind. And he's just generous with his time. He's gen- generous with his life, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked him, I was bold enough to ask him to mentor me. Hmm. Um, and I said, I don't need you to, I'm not try- asking you to teach me guitar, you know, or anything, <laughs> but but I just would love to hang out with you, maybe go ride bikes or go on a hike or whatever it is, um, and just get to know you, if that'd be all right. And he said, sure. Hmm. And so that was that was almost 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah, I just saw Phil last week, and we're talking about making a small project together. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, he's just an amazing human being. Yeah, I spent I spent some time with him. You connected me with him. Yeah. I spent some time with him last year. I loved I was, that interview. Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, a couple <laughs> of things struck me. One is that I think he has a photographic memory, because mm. he, can, he can go back to 1967 and tell you, what show he played, what songs he played at the show, mm-hmm. who was there, who did he meet? Like, I mean, he's he's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And the other thing was like the generosity thing, like yeah. how generous he was with his time. Oh yeah. He he just wanted to hang out. Like once right. we got to his house, he was just ready to hang, <laughs> and he wanted to play music. And right. you know, it was well, he's joyous about it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of catches you off guard. Yeah. It totally caught me off guard because if I were him, I'd be probably, I wouldn't want to speak about myself in such a bad way, but I hope I wouldn't be, but I, I think it'd be easy for me to think like, I'm kind of over all this, you know, but he isn't, he is, um, he's a joy machine. Yeah, he really is. He is. And he, yeah, about, about getting over it. You know, he said at one point he said, you know, I'd rather, I still love music. I'd rather play guitar than watch TV. I'd rather play guitar than, watch a movie, read a mm-hmm. book, go for a walk. I just I just want to play guitar. Yeah. It's like, man, like God just made this guy yeah. to play guitar. Oh, like yeah. He really did. Yeah. Um, Can I tell you a quick fun story about him? Yeah, please. What is my favorite story to tell about him? Well, there's a lot, but one of them is we were in his basement studio. Is that where you guys did the interview? We did it at the kitchen table, but I, he oh, took great. us down there. Okay, yeah. So yeah. You, you went down there. And we were just chatting, and he had picked up his guitar, and while we were talking, um, he was – just fiddling and noodling, and he played this ridiculously cool thing. And I, I thought for sure, that must be a song or something. I said, "Hey, what? Just a sec. What was that?" And he goes, "What?" And I go, "The thing you just played." And he goes, "What I play?" And I said, "That lick you just played." And he was like, "Sing it for me." I go, "Sing it for you? You just literally played it." He's like, "I don't know. I'm just messing around." I mean, and I just in that moment, I just realized like this is that he just lives in that place. That's where he's yeah, kind of where he camps out. Yeah, it's it's like it's like breathing for him. Right. right. This episode is brought to you in part by Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. Pittsburgh Theological Seminary students are grounded in faith and formed in community. PTS students are preparing for ministry with Master of Divinity, Master of Arts, Doctor of Ministry, and certificate programs. Begin your master's or certificate program in person or online. Financial aid is available. Visit pts.edu slash admit. This episode is brought to you in part by Asbury Theological Seminary. 
a multi-denominational evangelical seminary rooted in the Wesleyan tradition. Serving nearly 100 different denominations, Asbury Seminary prepares theologically educated, sanctified, spirit-filled men and women to evangelize and spread scriptural holiness throughout the world. Asbury Seminary is a spiritually vibrant, academically rigorous community with a residential campus in Central Kentucky, extension sites in Orlando, Tampa, Memphis, Tulsa, and Colorado Springs, and fully online programs. With over 1,800 students from 50 countries, Asbury Seminary is committed to embracing a church that encompasses all people, languages, and ethnicities. Learn more at asbury.to slash get started. Hey, so you're touring, you're opening for the normals. Let's pick it up from there. Yeah, just um, really trying to work at the craft of songwriting, work at the craft of of communicating uh the truth of existing, <laughs> getting mm-hmm. to the guts of things, um, really through the lens of my own life experience and unpack that against my faith um, in Christ. And that's been a journey. And during that time, you know, uh, Christian music industry has kind of come and gone, mm-hmm. which uh, I think is really a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was interacting with it in various forms over the years. I had a record deal, um, oddly enough, with a with a mainstream label hmm. uh, called Universal South, which is at the time was Nashville's arm of Universal Records, okay. and they had opened up an imprint label called Ebb and Flow, hmm. which Monroe Jones, its uh, producer, was running, and um, he he signed me to that label. Me and Stephen Delopoulos and hmm. Holly Williams, who went on to become a country kind of more of a country artist. Okay, so the three of us were on that roster, and I put a record out. On their label, um, but it actually never released. We we finished it and it was sequenced and mastered. They even did the photo shoot. Yeah, everything was ready to go. But um, Monroe had produced it. The Blind Boys of Alabama were on it, and it was a really cool little record called "The Innocence Fires." Yeah, and um, Universal uh, ran out of money because that they sunk all of their cash into a country artist named Joe Nichols. Yeah. And uh, I guess they had lost some money. I don't know what happened on on him, but as a result, uh, they were like cutting the, everybody off the wow. roster of the label and their associated labels. So, Evan Flo got the, you know, uh, felt the squeeze. And as a result of that, my label tried to sell my record uh, to another label, and that just got kind of a bad. Hmm. It's just like a bad sort of mojo attached to it, I think. Mm-hmm. It was like, well, why why are you trying to sell us this record? You, know, like, you guys you guys made this record for What's us. wrong with it? Yeah, well, you know. And uh, so right around that time, they were trying to make a deal with um, with a Christian, Christian label. Uh, and I won't say who. It doesn't matter, really. No one, no one cares, but I do enough. To, <laughs> I'm insecure to talk about it. But anyway... This will give you an, uh, an illustration of just how funny life can be. Um, my album was called The Innocence Fires. And um, so I went in and I, I played a radio thing for a bunch of people at this Christian label. To, and they were Christian radio guys to sort of evaluate whether they wanted to pick up my record. So I went into this boardroom with my guitar and played a couple of songs. And it went really well. And I thought it was going well, that they liked it. And we left, and they called my manager afterwards, and they said, well, listen, um, 
we have basically two artists to consider. We have Jeremy and his project, The Innocence Fires, and we have this other artist, and his project is called Happy. <laughs> so we're going to go with Happy. <laughs> and so, literally. And so that was it. Yeah. Um, I went back to being independent. Yeah. Did you ever get to release that record? No, I never did. Although yeah. I have a Dropbox link if anybody's interested. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I got out of my record deal at that point and uh, went back to being independent. Mm -hmm. And really back to just focusing on the craft of, of songwriting, trying to, trying to go deeper and deeper into my own skill set and try to tell the truth as best as I knew how. Mm -hmm. It took me quite a while to get there because, you know, just you try to write what people, what you think people want or mm -hmm. what would get you sort of, you know, some label attention and marketing attention. And I listened to that dialogue in my, in my own head and in my own heart for so long, trying to, that eventually that whole world uh, kind of went away, really. Mm -hmm. And I was left with, hey, you know, I am really, truly passionate and, and, and equipped to do this work, yeah. period. Yeah. So let's just really roll up our sleeves and do this really well. Did, so, is it streaming that killed the Christian industry? or I think, I think or that... Or just uh, bad business decisions? Yeah, and, I, th I think it's also just it served a... It didn't really serve the church hmm. anymore. Hmm. And I think and for a while, at least in my interactions with it, it looked like the church was sort of serving it in weird ways. Hmm. Um, you know, I could be wrong about that, but I, that was my experience. It's just, it's very easy to be cynical about anything these days and maybe all the, all, all the time, but, but about, about Christian music. But I think that, you know, by and large, it's a huge business with a lot of outside money that was invested um, and people want a good return on their investment. They're not so interested in serving you as much as they are being served or getting their money back. And yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, somebody with more business acumen than me could unpack that. But my experience was just confusing. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really fortunate that I uh, was spared, you know, what I was spared. Although I, at the time, I wanted more than anything to oh, yeah, to get in bed with all that and yeah. you know have some success right. in that sense because that was the template. Right. But the Lord tore all that down yeah. in grand fashion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a friend who uh, I I won't I'll, I'll follow a course with you. I won't say his name, but sort of in and out of the Christian music industry since the the late eighties, early nineties, and finally went independent um in the late 90s he still he his his bread and butter was was songwriting for you know for other people but he did his own projects and the comment he always makes about it is that he he realized he could either become the best artist he could be or he could become a really great christian artist you know with with the in the genre in the mm -hmm. in the label because the demands of the labels were like you know you got to get the name of jesus in by you know this many bars and beats into the song you've got to yeah. you've got to project a certain kind of image you've suffering doesn't sell mm -hmm. don't you know right. don't don't say anything that's depressing yeah um it's not very popular to talk about death oddly yeah in christian back in the day yeah. in christian music i yeah. heard that a lot huh you know so isn't that odd yeah but but you know what i it 
it is what it is and you can you know you can kind of drive yourself nuts trying to unpack all the right. all the hypocrisy but in the end of it at the end of it it's uh it's over it's okay right. we're all still here and um and no oddly so the big pushback is to run away from the church right because right. oh look at this plastic you know phony baloney situation that's now gone down right. a ball of flames so it all must just be you know bs yeah and uh and there's been a lot of that oh so much of that by people that i know and and uh and know of you know and um and i, I don't know i i really believe like I don't know how to describe this. It's like you get to the point in your life where you're like, okay, I want to separate all the things I've believed in for all the right reasons that are still shining and true and kind of beautiful and eternal. They never go away. All right. And I want to separate that, those things from all of the garbage that I projected onto them hmm. because there are things in life, right? Of course, that are true and beautiful and eternal. And of course the gospel and, and in the work of Jesus. And the older I get as a musician, the more it's humbled me to realize how much I tried to add on to all that, thinking mm -hmm. that that would get me where I wanted to go or some crazy, ambitious, ridiculous thing like that. Mm -hmm. And God in His grace, you know, to me, has allowed me to, you know, to, to sputter and, and churn and spit and fall and, you know, land in a in a place of like okay i can let go of all these things i didn't need i thought i needed it's like that rich mullins line you know when everything that could be shaken was shaken and all that all that remains is all i ever really had hmm. and um and i think that's definitely where i've been the last number of years and and where i am now i'm really thankful more than anything just really humble and really really have a humble humbled to realize how short life is mm -hmm. And how much of a blessing it is to be able to make anything. Yeah, I think the the fondness for deconversion stories amongst a lot of my friends that are at one time were Christian artists. Sure, it's just it's it's fascinating. It's like it's like almost fetishized. Like, oh well, here's how here's how much happier I am now that I've abandoned the faith. And right, but in some ways, it feels like you know exchanging one veneer for another. Totally, and I think of Tim Keller. You know, he says. Tell me about the God that you don't believe in, because odds are I don't believe in him either. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, good. and I think it's just so easy to take all of that disappointment and pain. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot, a lot of times, and project it onto everything mm -hmm. and say, well, therefore, everything is mm -hmm. bunk. But I think a lot of times, you know, anger is, exp is, is really grief expressing itself as anger. Mm -hmm. And it takes, really true. it takes a lot of self-awareness to look at your anger and go what's really going on here because there's a layer underneath there yeah and um i'm just amazed how patient god is with all of it because with me how that how's that just with me where he <laughs> he lets me sort through stuff he doesn't force himself on me and he he's given me so much grace hmm. to uh to feel and to rage at him and to to be to work through whatever it is I think I need to work through yeah. and to come back to, to him on a personal level. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of that's grief masquerading itself as anger. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, a friend of mine that's a therapist always says, um, 
you know, anger is always a secondary emotion. It's, mm. it's the expression of, of either, uh, uh, fear, sadness, or shame. I think about that a lot when I think about angry ex exvangelicals, you know, whatever yeah, the, right. whatever the term is, or, or people who've abandoned the faith. Well, it's, so. it's a little like the whole, remember relevant was a bud, buzzword. Or right. Is it relevant? We're really relevant. This is relevant. That's yeah. not relevant, but this is relevant. It just, after a while, it just becomes a parody of itself. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like I don't even know what this means. This term doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just confusing. It's mm-hmm. not specific about anything. It's just confusing. Mm. And if there's anything that darkness is, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. So what are we really saying when we're saying ex-evangelical? It's just like it's like throwing a knife or something. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. There's no real dialogue and conversation. If that's the point, mm-hmm. well, let's talk. Right. But if you just want to yell. Right. I'm not going to get on Twitter and watch you yell. Sorry. Right. Do you ever yeah. feel that way? Yeah, man. I, yeah. I, I was just talking, like, literally uh, an hour before this, I was talking with a friend of mine. She actually interviewed her today for the podcast. She's, I'm not sure if she'll air before this or, or after this, but she's a doctor. And, um, and she was talking about how, how much happier she is and how much she loves people more since she got rid of all of her social media accounts. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think about that a lot. I mean, Twitter, I get in trouble for things I do on Twitter and cause I, I'm reactive like that. Sure. Well, it's of, easy to be. I, I've been in the past too. Yeah I, hear, yeah. I hear you. Be still now child when you've lost your way. In the hell of yesterday Bleeds into today I see the storm is raging Inside and all around And you're a tempest-tossed Till you're lost Feeling for the ground And I will never leave you Orphaned all alone I'll send my spirit to Come and call you home After the record deal fell through, Jeremy went back to work as an independent artist. He released several records throughout the 2000s and the 20-teens, he got involved with some church plants, and he started producing for others. But he came to a point where he realized that he'd gotten scattered, spread too thin. So he decided to focus his work. I just got to a point where I realized that I wasn't... uh, I could do a lot of things pretty well, but really only one thing great. Hmm. Is that ever... Does that resonate? Mm-hmm. And I just needed to simplify and bring more focus to what I was doing. And um, I decided to, to just double down and put all my focus on uh, saying no to production stuff and just really focusing in on um, my own music, writing and recording and touring. Mm-hmm. And um, so still involved with church, still involved with with the musical parts of worship, but... Um, but very much my main focus 
being my own songwriting and traveling, playing concerts, um, just feeling that's really where my central call and most useful place has been. Hmm. Um, so made that Death in Reverse record with Kaysen, and that came out. Um, and then shortly after, well, actually before that record came out, and um, my, my my marriage went off the rails, hmm. and which was a shock to me. I went through a, a really painful divorce, and um, and that's really where my like my story or my life. Look, if you look at my if my life were like a chart, you'd be like, this is where everything started taking a totally different direction, hmm. uh, Godward, uh, more so than than before, I would say, because certainly knew the Lord. But during the course of that, walking through that divorce, um, I uh, experienced God's nearness and presence in a way that, that uh, really blew my doors off. Hmm. And ever since then, which was about six years ago, I've been sort of reeling <laughs> from that experience and in the ways that he revealed himself to me and so personally and so so lovingly and so kindly. Um, and so this new record, this, which is called Spirit, is, is me reconciling my life as it, as it's unfolded in the last six years, but more than anything, it's it's reflecting on and trying to give testimony to and about hmm. God's goodness to me, hmm. which oddly, or maybe not so oddly, but surprisingly to me, mm-hmm. has kind of trumped the pain and the suffering that I walk through that was no less real. Of course, it's intense, and I'm, I still deal with all kinds of pain from that, and that the Lord is healing still, but but His presence with me in his presence with my family and in the ways that he's provided for me and intervened in my life have truly been profound and, uh, and life altering. Um, so it's just me kind of doing a whole lot of smiling Mm. and a whole lot of trying to figure out how to tell other people in a beautiful poetic way through some songs, um, the songwriting, um, about some of that, Mm. you know, and, uh, that was kind of a kind of a wild ride to do that. But yeah, that's been my recent journey. Yeah, you said that it was six years ago. Was yeah, when your marriage ended. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the experiences I started having with the Lord, I can trace to to August seventh, twenty thirteen. And that previous summer, uh, previous month, so it was June of, of that summer. Things really went off the rails uh, in my life, and um, by the end of that summer, I'd lost about twenty-seven pounds, mm. and I was, you know, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, completely just shot. You know, mm. I was fixing to go on the road that fall, play a bunch of concerts, and had to cancel all of them. I mean, just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of terrible. Um, pain and just shock really just mm. shock that, that's the word i would use just shock and the resulting trying to catch your breath from that sort of shock um but by the end of that summer it's august 7th uh this one night i couldn't sleep um and i decided to get out of bed and go downstairs and 
sit in my office and uh, and pray, read the Bible and pray. It was about three in the morning, and I um, got down on my knees and I just started to pray. I mean, literally on my rug and my carpet, the carpet on my in my office, and just ask God. It wasn't even like a fancy prayer; it wasn't long, but I just got really. I don't know what happened. It was like a just a switch got flipped in me, and I just asked God to help me because hmm. I'd gone to everybody to help me, and no one could really do anything to help me. Hmm. And but I hadn't really gone to the Lord like I had gone to all these other people. And about five ten minutes later, something like that, I noticed in my office just this warmth that filled my office and. It settled down on me like a like a blanket, and my body relaxed, and the Lord directed me into like Psalm 91, and then from Psalm 91 to Psalm 37, and all these different readings, and I was reading and taking it in and then jotting things down. And it was like I was I was alone in my office. But I was not alone. I knew I knew I was not alone. And the best way I could describe it, even talking about it here, is just sounds so odd. But best way I could describe it is if my life were a book, like you know, and they're divided by chapters. That that night would be like where you put the big, fat, thick leather bookmark that just sits there. Hmm. And there is my life, my walk with God, my my life as a as a human being, my life with Christ. As a Christ follower, there was my life before that night and my life after that night. Mm. And I've never been the same since. I just mm. had that encounter of closeness that radically changed my life. Mm. And, um, you know, God didn't take all my problems away or anything. Sure. But He was with me in it. Mm. And that was even better. And that, that just meant that was, you know, hugely transformative, hugely mm. formative <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I think we all crave that kind of experience. Totally. When you talk about these things as a Christian, especially maybe any time, you know, maybe maybe these days aren't any different than any other days that on mm-hmm. the planet, right? But but you just feel, I feel uh, it's so easy to, to feel like a Luddite or to feel like, a, you know, you just want to communicate effectively and you want to communicate with power and weight because the experience of God's presence for me was and has been continued to be so key. Mm-hmm. It, it's um, it's like all the lights went on and mm. I could get a look around, mm. you know, and I just yeah. saw enough. I saw just enough. Mm-hmm. I saw what I needed to see. And more importantly, he showed me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what that is? That's just kindness. Yeah. And so behind him, show me that. He showed me himself, and he is, God is so kind. And I think that's what struck me is so much is that he's a person. He's a, he is a person, hmm. you know, and um, he's not a theological concept or all these things are good ideas to get to know something about somebody. But when you sit across the table from them, it's a different vibe. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Absolutely, and, uh, it's life changing. It's it's so interesting to hear the, that story from the guy who retuned Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, <laughs> right? 
because that's what that that's what that song is all about. Mm. So yeah, um, that's cool. Well, uh, I, I was encouraged by our mutual friend to ask you about uh, when when you remarried. That yeah, there's a that's pretty remarkable story. Totally beautiful. I love to talk about that. Um, yeah. Um, well, how do I get into this? There was a friend of mine. Um, he became my friend. I was officing out of Christ Presbyterian Church, tiny little under the stairs Harry Potter office for real <laughs> at Christ Pres. Scott Sauls had given me a oh, cool. space to work over there. And um, and this one day, I get a knock on the door from this guy who I'd never seen before, never heard of. And um, turns out uh, he has prophetic gifts, <laughs> I suppose. Hmm. He has knowledge gifts uh, from God. He just knows stuff. Um, yeah. Sort of a sort of a nefariously interesting, mysterious guy um, who loves the Lord and. So he showed up, and he he had some really encouraging things to tell me that really blew my mind. Uh, this is after this is a week after that encounter I had with the Lord, and um, we became friends. And so, um, one of the times that that he came by a few months later, he mentions to me while I'm going through this divorce, he said, um, "You already know your wife. The Lord's letting me know that. I just want you to know that." And I said, "Oh, really?" You know, <laughs> and I'm thinking now now I'm thinking this guy's crazy this is this is totally off the reservation here and it was he said um yeah she's a little older than you um and she's got kids and she doesn't live here so you don't need to go try to find her or anything the lord will just bring her to you and i thought well you know that's a nice thought thanks so much you know of course i i journaled that down you know and that was just after um just before halloween uh uh in 2013 so this is just a few months into all this whole terrible thing yeah and um the following many months go by and so on and uh i end up getting a a facebook message from a friend of mine who uh in pittsburgh named brooke and she said hey jeremy you know i've heard everything that's been going on i don't i don't know the specifics but i know you're going through a really hard time and just want you to know i've been praying for you and Hmm. you know and I had known Brooke since I was 12 years old. She, um, she was uh, a friend of mine from summer camp that I became a Christian at, actually. And she, uh, I was 12 and she was 15. And she was had hooked up with this guy who I really loved. His name was Matt Smith. And he was a little older than her. So he was almost 17, I think, when we all met. Hmm. Well, Brooke and Matt ended up getting married. And uh, Matt was a pastor. And Brooke and Matt did um, uh, racial reconciliation ministry and urban ministry in Pittsburgh. Hmm. Really beautiful ministry that they did together. They had three kids. um, And when Matt was 33, uh, he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And um, tragically, just very aggressive colon cancer and and tragically died about nine months later. Hmm. And... um, Ever since then, Brooke had been a widow and raising her kids in the inner city and so on and so forth. And I had lost touch with with this, with her family um, over the years. But here she was messaging me, and I, th- I said, thank you so much, you know, appreciate it, and nice to hear from you, and love seeing pictures of your family on Facebook. Hope you're well. Well, then the next day she messaged me again, and... Um, 
said that she'd been praying for me and that she'd woke up in the middle of the night and praying for me and all this stuff that the Lord had really just put put me on her heart, which is just so odd. Um, but we started talking and, uh, you know, we talked and talked and talked and months months of talking and eventually I went to, uh, to go visit her. And um, we knew pretty quick that the Lord was bringing us together. Mm-hmm. It just seemed really natural because it was. I'd known her a long, long time. But we just kind of picked right up off where uh, where we left off as friends. And uh, I loved her husband, Matt, was a really close friend of mine. I loved him a lot. And, um, and I knew two of her kids because when I first started touring, um, Matt booked me for some hmm. shows at his church. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so um, their, their older girls were uh, four and I think about two at the hmm. time that I, um, that I came around. And so anyway, many, many years later, right, um, Brooke and I reconnect, and the Lord, the Lord really brought us together. Well, what Brooke didn't know was that this guy, Wayne, the guy I mentioned to from Christ Prez, mm-hmm. he, he said to me, I already knew my wife, all this other stuff. So I called him on the phone, and I told him about Brooke. And I said, hey, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but, you know, a while ago you had mentioned to me, you know, that I would already know my wife, and the Lord kind of ministered all the stuff to you, and... I don't really know what to make of that, but I want to let you know that I've been hanging out with this friend of mine in Pennsylvania. I just got back to Nashville. It was a great, great visit, and she's really awesome. And, um, you know, she's older than me. She doesn't live here. She's got three kids, actually. And he says, is she a widow? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he said, go slow, little brother. You know. <laughs> and so we dated for, you know, another nine months or something like that and we got engaged and um we both got married when we, when, to each other <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just to be clear but we, we got married and um i think the thing that kevin was thinking i, w- I would want to highlight it's a really beautiful thing is that uh we got married in a cemetery actually mm-hmm. brooke and i did um and we got married in a cemetery in june out out just outside mm-hmm. um in pennsylvania about 40, 40 or 50 yards away from where Matt is buried. Hmm. And uh, just our families, you know, our kids were there and some of his family and just a few few family members. Not even everybody could make it. It was it was um, more of a ring ceremony than anything else. We, hmm. but her dad's a pastor and her so is her brother, so they married us. And um, so I wrote a song about, about that called Many Waters, hmm. which is on, on this record. Um, and so I, 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 you know, say that it's nothing cliche about you and me. We got married in a cemetery. Baby, there's nothing cliche about you and me. And I know it's hard to believe when you suffer such pain. You want someone. 
the blame for what was taken away. If I could get you alone, I'm gonna show you love stronger than death, as fierce as the grave and the fire. Sacred desire for many waters won't wash it away. Hey, hey. It's a powerful place to to make a statement like that, mm-hmm. you know, of commitment and and God's faithfulness, standing on God's faithfulness. Um, Till death do us part. Yeah, and here we are. Yeah. Um, and that was a that was a powerful, powerful thing to experience and to kind of unpack since then. Yeah, um, it's been a journey. I mean, a lot of healing for her and for me um, after losing her husband and being single for so long. A lot of grief mm-hmm. resurfaces, you know. Yeah. And then for me, just trusting anyone, mm-hmm. uh, myself, you right. know, my wife, my friends. It's a lot of healing there, yeah. and all of that. Healing's been brought on by, by our, the gift of our marriage, but it's it's been a real journey. Hmm. Um, That's great. Yeah, 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 man. Well, I just want to say I love the new record. Um, you, I've been fortunate enough to get a, an early listen to it, and uh, well, thanks. It's been in the car and just kind of on steady rotation. It's been really an encouraging thing. Thanks. What, what do you hope people take away from from the new record? Because there's a lot of your, I mean, hearing you tell the story again now, I mean, we're friends, I know a lot of this stuff already, sure. but just hearing you tell the story again on the other side of having listened to the record, so much of the story is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, certainly the the emotions of the story are in there. So what are, what are your hopes for what people take away yeah. from the project? Man, well, thanks for saying that. I'm so glad you listened to it. <laughs> and, you know, these days you give your record to your friends and, right. you know, you assume they listen, but they don't, you don't always know. And I, I get that too. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I hope that people come away with a sense uh, and a reminder, or maybe for the first time, uh, the reality, seriously, that we are not alone. Hmm. That we are not alone. That God is not far away. He's right here, hmm. and He's closer than we even know. In my case, I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know how hmm. close He was. I didn't know how illuminated scripture could be when you read it. Mm. I didn't know how, just speaking about myself, how hugely important it is as a believer to stay rooted in scripture, to know how close the Lord is. Um, so I, I hope that people come away with a sense that, that we're not, that they're not alone. Because I think that's been my central dialogue. I tell myself in my default mode is to to assume that I'm by myself and I got to figure this all out and I got to protect myself. I got to provide for myself. I got to, you know, defend myself. I've got to take care of myself. No one's going to. And the Lord is near. He is not far, and mm-hmm. we're not alone. And it's easy for me to say that, but He loves to tell you that. Mm. And I think so. I mean, he he's his own person, and he loves to let you know all about himself. Um, 
I tried so I've never prayed so hard seriously during the writing or recording of anything that I've done. I love that. I'm so thankful for that. I was so thankful to to work so hard on this because it's so important to me to talk about this stuff as best I possibly can because I, I want to share that hmm. with people who I think are feeling a lot of the same things I was feeling, which is I'm, I'm on my own and, mm-hmm. and God is far away. Um, so that's, that's what I would want people to come away with, that, that, that they're not alone, that God is near, and that He's mighty, and that He's powerful, um, and that He's a shelter. I mean, Psalm 91. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. It's a great place to land. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks for, for doing me. this. Now first he sings, and then he goes. And what it means, it's hard to know. Thanks for listening. Cultivated is a production of Harbor Media and Narrativo Group. We make podcasts at Narrativo. You can check us out at narrativogroup.com. This episode was recorded and edited by me. Our theme song is by Roman Candle. The rest of the music on this episode was by, you guessed it, Jeremy Casella. Uh, I really can't say enough good things about Jeremy's new record. It's called Spirit, and it's available now. Uh, You can check out Jeremy's other records and get a free download of Death in Reverse at jeremycasella.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.